From Community Public Radio, this is the CPR News. From New York, I'm Don DeBar. While the world appears to be on the brink, perhaps, uh, for the first time in serious terms since the Cuban Missile Crisis, so-called in 1962, unlike in the early 1960s, there are multiple crises of legitimacy across the American and Western political and economic landscapes. And who better to discuss that with than Professor Tony Montero of the Saturday Free School in Philadelphia, because we've been talking about this stuff for about six years now, right, Tony? Wow, is it that long? How time flies. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. I'm good, man. So, uh, you know, give us a little little free school. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, um, you know, we're at a, it seems... What could be a turning point um, in history? Uh, Certainly, um, what is going on in Ukraine and the inability of the United States and its, I'll put quotes around this, uh, Western allies, uh, their inability to do anything about it. Uh, when they had a diplomatic way out, the United States chose uh, to ignore uh, Russia's uh, uh, legitimate uh, uh, concerns about the security, what is called the security architecture of Europe and how NATO since 1997 had pushed up to the borders of Russia, and in fact, was talking about, although they deny it now, the admission of Ukraine and Georgia into NATO, or if not into NATO, turning them into uh, military and economic allies of the West. Uh, The Russians acted uh, in their own interest and the West has been unable to find a adequate response. Uh, and there is no adequate response, frankly, because you know we're at that turning point. We're at that new moment coming into being uh, where in fact, this is what the multipolar world looks like. This is what the world after um, uh, American uh, so-called liberal hege- hegemonism no longer is dominant. Uh, and so it is. Uh, and this is a crisis at the end of the day for the Biden administration and for the entire ruling class of the United States, where their comfort zone, their um, uh imagined world is being shattered. And as it is being shattered, uh, they are going into various levels of states of hysteria, of uh, inability to rationally talk about 
uh, what is going on in the world. So they turn to all of this bogus language about democracy and autocracy and how uh, we, by opposing Putin and the Russians, are defending democracy against the authoritarians in Russia, China, Iran, and in the United States, interestingly enough. In other words, if you are against American uh, aggression, then you are for autocracy. If you are a supporter of American aggression and militarism and 800 military bases around the world and NATO, then you are a supporter of autocracy. So that's where I think we are right now, Don. What's interesting to me, I'm watching today, it's Friday, looking through the news, there's this one uh, example of um, four or five different uh, members of Congress yesterday, House Armed Services Committee, I think, uh, one or two other of their little select committees, uh, in first invoking democracy and, and, you know, all of this claptrap. Thinking to myself, while I'm reading this, as context, this is a body of 535 beings. <laughs> I won't concede that they're all human. Um, <clears throat> who have had for decades, collectively, positive numbers, lower than 20%, who have a re-election rate for decades in excess of 98%. And I wonder, with that fundamental contradiction, how the word democracy can come out of their mouths, let alone be some club that they want to smack the rest of the world around with. And the foundational disagreement or, or, or characterization of the nature of what's going on in Russia right now rests on... The referendum that was held in each of the two breakaway republics or newly independent states or regions or whatever you want to characterize Donetsk and Luhansk as, and by the way, Crimea, where some, something in excess of 90% of the people there and with participation that pale, I mean, makes the presidential elections here pale by comparison, where the people said, we want to get the hell out of this place, that by the way... It has a coup government installed by foreigners whose first two acts were, one, to delegitimize our language and culture legally, and two, to turn around and glorify a guy who murdered millions of us 75 years ago. That is the altar from which they preach democracy as they advocate pouring the military into Eastern Europe and provoking Russia to the point of, you know, whatever, something like they just saw only bigger. Yeah, you know, I, you know, all of what you say is I agree with completely. You know, uh, how and on what grounds does the United States assume the right to be the moral policeman of the whole world and to lecture all nations and civilizations, no matter how long they've been in existence, about how they should live and what democracy is in their civilizations. And I want to underline 
civilization because the world is not European civilization. Uh, European civilization has contributed mightily to human progress, but not more than China or India or Africa. Every peoples have contributed to the progress of humanity. But it's not a matter of uh, historical accuracy or uh, reasonable discourse. Uh, it's a matter of propaganda. We have the military and we have the means of, uh, of uh, promoting our ideas and our point of view throughout the world. At least we've had that uh, for a good part of the uh, uh, 20th and early 21st centuries. That is coming to an end. So, yes, indeed, as you point out, most of the members of Congress know how to be elected and re-elected and re-elected over and over again. Well, but that's not their problem. That's not the problem of the nation. The problem is they cannot govern. Because yeah. while they're elected and re-elected, they become less legitimate right. in the eyes of the people. The uh, approval rating of the U.S. Congress as we speak is somewhere in the low 20%. Right. In other words, close to 80% of the American people disapprove of Congress, while the majority of them are elected and re-elected. And increasingly, the American people will seek out ways to express themselves and be heard, whether or not the politicians and the ideologues who run the politicians uh, are like it or not. We're in that kind of a moment. And, you know, Biden and those uh, thought that this was going to be Biden's John Kennedy moment, that he was standing up to the Russians and would threaten them and Putin would back down. Um, the uh, Russians put forward in, the, uh, in December a set of demands about their security, about their existential being. And uh, Jake Sullivan and Anthony Biden, uh, two quite incompetent ideologues that know nothing about real or real politics, brushed them aside and increasingly dismissed Russia as what John McCain called a gas station posing as a nation. Uh, that myth, uh, I don't know, you know how they were uh, going by that. And of course, the hatred of Russia by people in the State Department like Victoria Nuland. And so Russia said, enough is enough. We will act. And we're prepared to deal with, with whatever consequences uh, we have to face. Now, the regime in the Ukraine came about as a result of a U.S. organized coup d'etat in 2014. 
that coup d'etat which brought to power the most right-wing, in fact, Nazi and pro-Nazi political elements in the Ukraine immediately outlawed the Russian language. I mean, from the very beginning of the of the of the of the Ukrainian state as a part of the Soviet Union, there was always the uh, Russian-speaking part of it. That did not mean that they these two sides, these two linguistic groups, were antagonistic. It only meant that to live in a unified nation, in a unified state, both languages and cultures had to be recognized, although most Ukrainians speak both languages. The other side of it is that uh, uh, the Soviet leadership, especially Khrushchev, was so comfortable with the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics and Ukraine's role in it that they turned over the Crimea to be administered as part of the Ukraine. Now, when this um, uh, anti-Russia, uh, right-wing and pro-Nazi group comes to power, all bets are off. Russia then has to decide, first of all, how it will respond to the Russian-speaking population in the Ukraine. The second thing is, what would Russia do about its military and naval bases in the Crimea? And they acted swiftly and they acted, acted decisively. They uh, reintegrated the Crimea into Russia and then they supported gingerly in the beginning the, uh, uh, the peoples of the Donbass. Uh, Donetsk and Luhansk uh, People's Republics, as it were. And, of course, the West kept up its agitation, especially the United States, that Russia had invaded the Ukraine, while never talking about the coup d'etat that they engineered, which brought this anti-Russia uh, regime to power. The West calls it pro-Western. Uh, indeed, it is pro-Western, pro but the essence is anti-Russia. And then they were arming them. Uh, they were putting in so-called defensive missiles and, and drones and other things to make, again, Russia and its leadership vulnerable to missile and, and nuclear attacks that could occur in a matter of minutes, uh, decapitating the Russian state and rendering Russia uh, uh, null and void as a nation state and as a power in the world uh, geopolitics. You know, President Putin, when he announced it, the, uh, I guess what he announced first, the recognition, I don't remember which press conference it was earlier in the week, he said, you have a knife at our throat. You know, the, the, we're talking about, you know, the, the leadership being within a four and a half minute Absolutely. envelope from launch in Ukraine or Poland or <clears throat> one of the Baltics to Moscow. Or Romania. Yeah, Romania also and, uh, and Bulgaria. 
You have, and those aren't the only places, by the way. But that's that's where Moscow is is in because they're also looking at bringing in Norway and Finland into NATO. Also, and Finland, you can hit a golf shot from Finland into the Saint Petersburg. Absolutely. You know. Um, if you look at a map, I mean, I've said this maybe dozens of times now in different conversations with people and probably three or four times with you, you're looking at a map of Operation Barbarossa when Hitler invaded the Soviet Union, an invasion that took the lives of somewhere between 25 and 30 million Soviet citizens, most of them Russians. In other words, somewhere on the order of four or five times as many uh, Jews as were killed by the Nazis, the six million that everyone holds up as this is history's biggest Holocaust and as ugly and, and horrible as it was, in Europe it's not even the biggest Holocaust. Let's not even go to Africa and Latin America and or or this continent. <laughs> um, and uh, the the fullest expression of that on a map with the exception of Belarus, which they made a play for last year with an attempted color revolution, quote-unquote, they are already stationed where the Nazis made their advance to. They start this time with all of their military gear installed where Hitler fought his way to. And rather than having mortars and airplanes that go, you know, at the 30 miles an hour or whatever, they've got cruise missiles and all kinds of weaponry that you can't see until it hits you, let alone the stuff that you can see for the four minutes it takes to get to you. And they said, this is a knife at our throat. What else can we do? Now, yeah. on top of that... It's one thing if everybody's putting that stuff there and saying, well, we're not really aggressive, et cetera, and they're saying, oh, by the way, we love Russia, Russians are our friends, blah, 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 instead of the bile that they've been spewing for five years now. You know, even if, even if the U.S. had all of its troops back in the United States and everything, Russia would have to be looking at what goes on here rather askance since the propaganda war that has been conducted for the last five years makes what they did before they invaded Iraq and Afghanistan and Libya and all of that, you know, look like a Saturday afternoon cartoon. It's the uh -huh. most extensive public relations campaign I have seen in my lifetime. And it's the most vile uh, demonization of a people that they've allowed on television, you know, in, in decades anyway. Yeah, but, but isn't it interesting? For, first of all, um, the United States ideologues and propagandists find it difficult to deal with the fact that Russia is once again a great power. Oh, yeah. I'm not just talking about because it has nuclear weapons. That's a part of it. But because it has a very modern military, uh, but also because its economy is much larger, uh, is much more diverse and complex. And resilient. And res yes, and resilient that the West wants to admit. Uh, it is not, as they say, the size of the economy of uh, uh, Texas, maybe. No, it's much larger than that. And it plays an integral 
role as part of the global economy. Uh, it is not insignificant that over 50% of the natural gas that goes to Germany, which is one of the largest right. economies in Europe, the, the largest engine. economy right. in Europe, yep. and one of the largest in the world, 50% of the natural gas comes from Russia. Right. Germany and Russia are uh, uh, linked literally at the hip economically. You can't detach the two. Uh, all the rhetoric aside, the economic interests of the two countries are bound together in very complex uh, ways. Uh, but Russia uh, has options. It does not have to go west, uh, as even Vladimir Putin one time thought it should. Uh, he has been disabused of that over the last 20 years. But there's the East, there's Asia, there's China, <clears throat> there's India. Uh, and it's so profound that the Western uh, ideologues and politicians, you know, keep this myth going that if Russia is not accepted by the West, it has nowhere to go. You know, let's not forget, uh, in the fall of 2021, Vladimir Putin went to India on a state visit, and he was received in the warmest way, manner, that any uh, a statesman or head of state has been received in India in recent memory. And I remember... When Modi came to the United Nations a few years ago, the reception he got he here was he got served with legal process in front of the press. Right, right. Very interesting. And, but if, if that were not enough, uh, let's remember just uh, this month when Putin went to China uh, and the Chinese and the Russians signed a joint statement, which was a statement of unbreakable friendship uh, between the two. So here you have Russia with the option, which it is using, of becoming what it actually is, more of an Asian nation than a European nation. Yep. That not only will Russia look to Asia, but Germany will look to Asia. England, in spite of this crazy man that's the prime minister, Boris Johnson, right. they will look to Asia. So the future of the global economy, of the multipolar world, the future originates in Asia. So when Vladimir Putin says, Look, we want you, the, you Europeans, to consider our uh, security interests. You have come up to our borders. You are arming the Poles and the Romanians with what you call defensive nuclear weapons that can become merely, with a change in software, offensive nuclear weapons. And we are aware that if you... Uh, tie these weapons, offensive nuclear weapons, to hypersonic missiles, you can hit the Kremlin in a matter of four or five minutes. That is unacceptable. And we will act 
to defend our nation. And I think as Putin mentioned, our future as a nation. And I'll say it again. This is what the multipolar world for the rest of the 21st century will look like. Last point. Biden, as a representative of the dominant sections of the U.S. ruling class, let's not get it twisted. That's who he represents, as well as the military and national security intelligence uh, uh, forces in the country. Yeah. He thought, yeah. they thought they could stare Putin down. They thought that Russia was as weak as they were saying, you know, so much for their intelligence. They thought that the Russians did not have the backbone to stand up to the West. They were intoxicated by their own triumphalist narrative going back to 1991 with the collapse of the Soviet Union. Well, that's not the Russia of today. That is not the Be Belarus, Belarus of today. That is not Kazakhstan of today. And now that will not be Ukraine of today. Ukraine will either be a neutral state in Europe or it will become a part of a larger federation of Russia and what uh, was the, the former Soviet states. We got about three minutes left, if that. Um, and in that, there's something that I want to ask about. While, while we're looking at the entire landscape changed there, I'm looking at the landscape here changed, where before you might at least be able to go to some sources looking at what's happening over there and get some orientation, whether it's from the uh, various communist parties or, or groups that call themselves that, from the RCP to the CPUSA to PSL and, and Workers' World, somewhere, or some media like Pacifica, and get some orientation. And I'm looking at this stuff, and from Liberation News from the, for the PSL, I'm seeing them call the truck protest in, uh, in Canada fascist and anti-worker and petty bourgeois and a whole bunch of other nonsense. And I saw both Revcom and uh, CPUSA characterize uh, what's going on in uh, Russia and Ukraine in, in a fashion that's almost indistinguishable from what comes out of Langley. Where, what are people supposed to be doing? The anti-war movement, of course, is organizing protests smaller than the one that the CIA organized in Red Square yesterday. What do yeah. we do? Yeah. Well, well, first of all, um, it is what it is. Um, the left tends to be so um, much in the camp of the liberal globalist uh, that they, can, they, they cease being able to see the working class. And in fact, they are behind the working people. Uh, part of the crisis of legitimacy uh, of the Biden administration is that 
they came into office warning war, warning, wanting confrontation with Russia and China, but the American people don't want war. They don't want confrontation. They want a, uh, to have solved the fundamental problems of working people in this country. They want peace in essence. So I think, uh, sadly, uh, what we call the left today, uh, be it the uh, alleged communist left or the, uh, the other left of the Bernie Sanders, and we haven't talked about him, uh, and the AOCs and that group, the left of the Democratic Party and the Social Democrats, uh, no matter how you slice it, uh, we do not have a left worthy of the U.S. working class and of the U.S. people. Uh, they have contempt for the working people of this country and of Canada and of the um, uh, 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 black uh, people of this country. So we are where we are, but history moves forward. The world is now different. Right. Uh, they will either adjust and become a part of the new world or they will become more irrelevant and ultimately fade out of, uh, out of existence. If that's possible, Larry. Thank you so much, Professor Montero. We will speak with you again very soon. Thank you, Don. Appreciate you. And that's all the news we have for you right now. For Community Public Radio, I'm Don DeBar in New York. Thanks for listening.